0: Today we're going to jump into Romans 7, and uh, so Romans 7 is going to be, um, there's a lot in Romans 7 because it's a conflicting passage. Next Sunday morning uh, we're going to be studying Romans 7 again at 9.45, but today we're looking at, at Romans 7. Last week we were talking Romans 6, and this morning downstairs we were talking Romans 6, and Paul has just told us that we're slaves to what we worship. So, if you don't worship God, you're given over to all types of evils. All types of evils are are what encroaches in your life when you don't worship God, because there's no authority that defines what is good and evil. There's nothing there. And so, as a Christian, a little image of Jesus in the world today, that's what a Christian is, Here's my first question for us, for all of us on Slack. And I actually had a hard time answering this question myself, because I wanted to be honest, but I also wanted to give God some glory and some praise and some, you know, acknowledgement that God has done work in my life. And so it was a little bit hard, this question. And, and so, so it was, you know, at first I just wanted to, to, to say zero. But then I was like, that's not quite true. There's got to be something a little bit more going on. So here's the question How many consecutive minutes have you succeeded in being like Jesus? Come on. How many consecutive minutes? Think about your life now. Think about this. And I'd love to hear you on Slack. How many consecutive minutes have you succeeded? in being just like Jesus. I mean, we're Christians, we're little Christs, we're, we're images of Christ, we're the body of Christ, you know, and, and, and we beat ourselves up a lot, but I'd love to hear from you how many consecutive minutes you think you've succeeded in being just like Jesus. Don't worry, it ends as soon as you say it, because if it's a running streak right now, then you know your pride just ends it, so whatever. Um, so it's okay, we're all, gonna, we're all gonna have an end time on it, but This is just a really interesting question, because I think, I think this is the burden that we carry, isn't it? This is the burden that we carry. I need to be just like Jesus. Oh, crap, not like Jesus now. Okay, I'm going to try again. Nope, I can't do it again. All right, I'm going to do it this time. Really? 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 No, I'm not going to do... Oh, Okay, so so we're struggling because we carry this heavy burden, and I want to know how good you guys are. Um, Someone said 3.2 minutes. They tracked it. That's great. Um, Less than one. I started, then I got proud of myself. (laughs) Six or seven hours a day while he's asleep. That's okay. (laughs) But can you sleep in a boat in a storm? Anyways... Mm. Um, yeah, someone said, would a better question be how many times did your actions reflect Jesus? Um, yeah, this is, this is great. Someone tried to walk on water. That didn't last long. <laughs> right? Yeah. Definitely sleep in the boat. Best sleeps ever. Paul implied in Romans 6 that if you worship correctly, you'll be slaves to righteousness. So, some questions we have to ponder today. How do I understand my own participation with evil? Right? How do I understand my participation with sin while I'm trying to worship correctly? What is my expectation of behavior? Someone in Slack said just uh, last week, said, oh, if I worship God focused enough, then I'm just going to stop sinning. And Paul needs to get us to Romans 7 so we can understand that God works in us and our expectations. Let me read Romans 7 12 12 through, or 13 through 20. Um, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown as sin. And through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, I am sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I, do, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that's good. So now it's no longer I who did it, But sin that dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who did it but sin that dwells in me. Inconceivable. Sorry. It just felt like I was listening to a Princess Bride script. <laughs> and so this is a struggle. Most of us, okay, we read Romans 7 and we go, that's interesting. You know, something's going on here. Um, but what we see here is, is there's a struggle that Paul's facing, and it's not detached from the rest of his discussion. It's right logically following along with what his discussion has been. Right at the beginning of Romans, he's saying all of the world is corrupted into evil, given over to its own evil desires, but when I worship God, then I am freed from all of that evil, and now I am a slave to righteousness. That's Romans 6. But Romans 7 then says, now here's my problem. I'm still sinning. What the heck am I supposed to do with that? Thank you for those memes. Appreciate it. The question here is not how many consecutive minutes have you succeeded in Jesus, which some people said that they turned water into wine once. You know, that was good. Um, The question is not how many consecutive minutes have you succeeded in being like Jesus, but the question now is, I'm worshiping right and I'm still sinning. How do I know that I'm in? How do I know that I am a good Christian? How do I stay in? See, all religion has shown that there is evil in the world and and humans are involved in it. So, the role of the law was in order that sin might be shown as sin the law brutally and honestly points out the evils that are in the world and in human behavior that's what the law does it is a brutal and honest assessment that there is evil in the world and there is evil in you that's the role there's no partiality in it, there's no, there's no betterment in it, there's no, you can't legislate the evil out of people. My kid was at school this week, and, uh, and, and she was getting pulled out of school to go to the dentist's office, some girls came into the office, and somebody had uh, a cut on their face because a boy was throwing ice, and it hit her in the face. Well, there is a strict rule at the school that you can't throw snowballs. Well, it's just because people could get hurt, and I understand the safety stuff and all this other stuff, but snowball, a proper snowball, won't actually hurt you too much. But the reason they said don't throw snowballs is so that nobody accidentally throws ice balls. The rule did not stop the ice ball from being thrown. It just showed us that the ice ball being thrown was wrong. That's what the rule does. So how do we stay in? Um, this is the way it was for the Jews. They had a clear answer to this. God's revealed solution for the Jews was obedience to the law. Yet, not even the Jews could do it correctly. And God expected that. So, the provision for them missing the law, for them sinning, is built into the Levitical priesthood. You can still be a good Jew, even if you broke the law, by getting your sins forgiven by sacrificing animals and the proper ritualistic practices through the priest. That's how you stay in. In Judaism it was easy. You do your best, and then when you screw up, you give the offerings required. Bam! I'm in. I'm a good Jew. That was pretty simple. That was simple. At least it was until Paul goes ahead and muddies the waters. See, because even in the Jewish faith, there was provision for a Gentile to get in. You didn't have to be born Jew. By the time we're in the first century Judaism, second temple time, there was a way that you could become a Jew through obedience to the law over a long period of time, proving your loyalty to God and his ways, going to the temple all the times that you need to, taking part in the fasts and the feasts. And you would then be accepted as a Gentile God-fearer. That was the title. So it was really clear. You obey the laws, You do the things, and you're in. That's Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. He is a God-fearer. It's actually a title. You are a Gentile that is converting to Judaism. And so the law was not just the means of staying in, but it was also the means of entry. And the priesthood is the mediator who provides grace, so you need to maintain your status as included. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law but there is something wrong with what we worship. And Jesus pointed this out. You, you pursue the law, that, and that just leads to self-righteousness. I'm gonna get in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my tower to the top. I'm gonna, all my good deeds, all my obedience to the law, that's going to make God have to approve of me. I'm going to get here, and then all of a sudden, we look at ourselves and go, Dang, you, the bottom step, you suck, right? I was watching Weird Al Yankovic videos. I was introducing them to my girls <laughs> yesterday, and there's a, there's a sports song, and it pretty much the chorus goes like this, you suck, we're great, you suck, we're great, there you go. That's the story. It's a lovely story. But, but that's what following the law as a means for entry does. We get to the top of the law mountain and we're like, dang, I'm good. I got this together. And we look at all those poor other people that don't have it together and we either feel sorry for them or we feel better than them. Oh, I wish they could do as good as, we could, as we're doing. You know, And that's what Jesus is going against. And that's where the black and whiteness starts to disappear a little bit. Paul starts in Romans 6 showing how it is faith, not obedience to the law, that God credits righteousness to. Credits righteousness is code for staying in. It's faith that makes you stay in rather than obedience to the law. Okay? So then it begs two questions that we have to get through, because this gets messy. If I didn't get in by obeying the law, how do I stay in? And what do we do with God's righteous decree? Jesus is the only one at the top of the law mountain. Well, well pointed out, well said. Um, So the two questions are, if I didn't get in by obeying the law, how do I stay in? And what do we do with God's righteous decree? Someone's just throwing a a, a, a sidebar question to me. It says, might be a little off topic, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the comparison of piety that the law encouraged compared to our our much more relaxed take on our relationship and obedience with God. Do we lose something valuable and important as we celebrate accessibility? Great question. See... See, what happened in the piety of the law was ritualistic worship. So there was something in there that's really worthwhile. It's the worship of God that is now going to change my actions. And so the law allowed people who were actually seeking after God to be like, okay, I will worship God. And sometimes when we just go casual with God, we sometimes think that, well, we could just do whatever we want sometimes because of Romans 7. So we're going to get into that. How do I stay in? Paul switched it to be about faith and not strict obedience to the law as a primary. The problem is, we tend to be wired to want to win the game. You know, the the law makes life rules for the game and the object is to win. We want to win. So did the rules, did that which is good bring death to me? By no means. Sin produced death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown as sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So I want to ask you a question. How competitive, on a scale of one to ten, one being not competitive, ten being super competitive, how competitive are you when you play games? How competitive are you when you play games? Answer on Slack. I'd love to hear it. Someone said uh, piety is the ugliest form of pride. And someone else says that they can fake piety, because, but not before God. So how competitive are you when you play games? See, the rules aren't dysfunctional, but there's something else going on. There was a sinister desire for me to win, for you to win. That's inside of us. What, we go beyond the game we're supposed to play and we participate with the evil that exists beyond our own being. Reorienting our worship away from God and towards winning. See, the nice thing about the law is it's a bunch of checkboxes. Do this, do that, do this. The rich young ruler, remember? What do I need to do to inherit an eternal life? Jesus said, do this checkbox, do this checkbox, do this checkbox. And, and the rich young ruler is going, I got it, I got it. Ah, I got it, I got it. And then he passes Jesus once more, and as Ethan has famously said, he shouldn't have asked the next question. So, so what else do I need to do? I did all these things. And Jesus says, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor. Well, that wasn't on the checkbox. What, what, what do you mean? And he walks away dejected because he's looking for the checkboxes. It's easier, we, can, we, we turn our eyes off of Jesus and start going towards the checkboxes and winning. I want to win the game. You, in doing that, we actually break the game. I'm going to explain what I mean by break the game. It was sin producing death in me. When I go, I just am going to be the best Christian forever. Damn. Oh, almost swore. Right? You get the, the, the intention and then the, you know, I, a pastor spoke to me one day and they said, you know what the purpose of church on a Sunday morning is? And I was like, 20 years old. What's the purpose of church on a Sunday morning? This pastor said to me to remind the people that come to church how much they messed up and failed so that they can feel better that they're forgiven again and go and be determined to try harder next week. And I was like, oh, that's awful. That's awful. At 20 years old, I was like, I can never be involved in that. that. That this whole, like, try harder, do better, work better, dang it, it's just not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is it? If that's not the gospel, how do I know that I'm in? How do I stay in? That's what Paul's getting at. I was a youth pastor for a lot of time. I played a game called uh, Secret Mission, or sometimes it was called Alien Invasion, I just heard that, thank you. This game was a combination of find and seek and attack and defend because what would happen is I would hide glow sticks throughout the church. Lights out everywhere. And we're hiding glow sticks everywhere. And the students were the surviving humans and the adults are the aliens and the adults are equipped with, with finding devices to stop the students from achieving their mission. The student's mission was to bring the glow sticks from wherever they were to the central ship so that they could assemble them and disarm the aliens. The aliens needed to find them and seek them out. And this is what would happen to my youth group of about 40 kids. We would be playing this game and somebody would break the game. Somebody who might be related to me looking for loopholes with other people who might still be in the room right now. But David Weitzhausen wasn't here. And so we would play this game. Can we we have a Sunday service where Rob leads us in a youth day? No. Um, So we would play this game, and they would find loopholes to win the game. Well, the problem was they were so fixated on winning that it actually broke the game and people wouldn't know what was going on anymore because the the leaders would like, they would would use their, they're the aliens and they're using flashlights to find the kids and the kids could be invisible if they didn't move and didn't make a sound. But then kids would just run through it and whatever and there's no way that the game really works, it kind of breaks. Like, everybody has to play by the rules for the game to work. But they break the game. Well, this is what we've done with the law, which is meant to point us to Jesus... We actually take a look at the law and say, This is how I win. And we elevate it and go, Look, look, God, I did all these things. I am so awesome. Look at how great I am. No, Jesus is the one who is great who deserves your worship. The law wasn't there to make you great, the law was put there as an objective measure to show that evil exists in the world and in your life so that you look to Jesus. So that he will forgive you. So let's look at this. How competitive were you when you play games? Um, Nine, 10, 11, 11. It's hard to compete when you always win. Woo! (laughs) Um, Eight, used to be higher. Depends on whom I'm playing against. Normally eight, but Settlers of Catan, 10. 10. Someone says four, so I wanna play with that person. Um, As long as I win, I'm not competitive. Uh, Usually a seven, ten, seven. Um, If I think I'm out of my league, one. (laughs) Fair enough. So someone, I was totally going to put that into my sermon. Someone just said, you just lost the game. (laughs) How many other people just lost? Suckers. Um, So this is, this is what we're talking about. Did the law bring death? No, the law is good the desire to win the game brought you into the willing participation with evil to subvert the system. The desire for you to win the game brought you into a place where you thought that you should just impress God more. The desire for you to win the game said, I will be like God and I will run my life. Even if I run my life by God's principles, I will be the center of it. The desire to win the game said, I will pursue the pleasure now because I want to get ahead. The desire to win the game leads me to take back control and not offer it open-handed to God. And all of it produces death. The desire to win the game While I wanted to win, I broke the very thing that was set in place for me to understand how to win. And so, sin—the willing participation with evil—produces death in me. So, if I didn't get in by obeying the law, how do I stay in? And what do we do with God's righteous decree? So, someone just said, "Is this—is this really just a church full of people that never outgrew youth group?" (laughs) We play kahoot. We're on Slack, absolutely. Even though we aren't perfectly Jesus, when we're saved by God's grace, lifted, God lifted us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You are correct, absolutely, and we haven't gotten to that yet. Um, and so we, we, we're looking at this idea that we wanted to win. Are you suggesting that God is never impressed with us? No, I am not. But look at this, Romans 14, or Romans 7, 14 to 17. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I for I do not do what I want. But the very thing I hate. I have to be able to understand why do I still sin when I worship God? Why do I still sin? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law and that's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. I want to be good. I want to be right. I want to follow the commandments, but I keep on not doing it. And that makes me feel like crap. Anybody else in the room? We're like, that makes me feel like crap. And it's like, I just, the answer can't be try harder. It's got to be Jesus, set me free. It's got to be the prayer, the cry of our hearts saying, Jesus, set me free. I already have the desire to do it right. I do not have the ability. We deal with the regular participation with evil around us in our culture, in our secular liturgies, and in our conversations, in our hearts, and in our minds. Christians, we tend to be fixated on our imperfections, but Jesus isn't. Jesus is not fixated on your imperfection. He's, fixed it. He's fixated on saving us from the evil in the world that leads to our death. He's fixated on saying we we think staying in is overcoming our imperfection, and Jesus thinks staying in is coming to him, getting behind him, while he destroys the evil in the world and purifies us of the sin that we participate in. He's the one who's cleansing us. It's like like a mama bear being like, here's the threat. Put the cubs back here. Let me deal with the threat. Jesus says the evil in the world that is threatening to bring you to death is the threat. And Jesus is saying, get over here so that I can overcome it. So that I can purify you. So that I can change you. So that I can win. And the faith that we put in Jesus is saying, oh God, thank you so much. Let me just stand here and worship while you purify my heart. Jesus, here is my heart. I give it to you. Remove any form of evil from within me. Because I tried to follow the law and I lasted 3.2 minutes. I tried to be just like you, and I failed again and again and again. Guys, I know how badly I can condemn myself when I sin because I was damn well determined that I wasn't going to. And then I do it, and then Satan comes in, and he says, you filthy, disgusting pastor, you shouldn't ever speak again. And he does it to you too. He'll tempt you. He'll tempt you to participate with evil. And then when you give just an inch, he will condemn you like you are Satan himself. And the cycle continues on and on and on, and you live in condemnation. And Paul is separating out for us here. He's saying, no, there is sin that dwells in me, and there's nothing good in my flesh, but God. I'm worshiping God. And he is the one who will purify me. That's why I can be in a church with a person who's five months clean. And he is no worse or better than me. We are on the exact same journey, standing on the exact same platform in front of Christ. Because God is doing the work of redeeming us from the evil. He's going to redeem your story. Whew, Sorry. There's a book called written by Ted Decker, it's called the Circle Series, there's four of them. Black, red, white, green. It's a picture and he attempts to draw us this tension between being saved and still living in the world. In the series we find a village at the beginning, it's bright and beautiful and colorful. The dark forest is on the other side of the river and the command to all the people in the village is never go on the bridge over the river. And of course, a small boy steps onto the bridge and no sooner does he step on the bridge when the sound and the darkness comes rushing over the bridge and and just... Permeates every single piece of the valley and the river and the, and, and the uh, village that's around. And the color is re- completely removed where soot is put over all of the houses that were beautiful. The flowers turn to gray and the trees lose their leaves and there is darkness and soot everywhere. The people's skin gets this nasty soot all over them, and they can't wash it off. When they go into the water, the soot ingrains deeper into their sin because the water is polluted. And they, they try and they cannot get clean. Being born into the sooty village three generations later, the young no, rem- no longer remember the color. It isn't their fault. They've heard about the color, but they can't even imagine the color. It was totally different. They're influenced so significantly by the presence that it requires only their imagination to see reality is a different thing I think Ted Decker's onto something I think that we live in a world so corrupted by evil that it takes our imagination to even be able to vision the beauty of the glory of God that he wants to bring into this world Our collective memory says, God, God, do something with this. And and we look at things that we think are bright and beautiful, but they are just shades of gray compared to the beauty that God wants to create. The law points us towards a different way, but there's no possible way the law, like those pools of water, could ever get us clean. It can only describe what being clean and full of color looks like. It is only through Jesus that we actually experience the cleanliness. It's only through Jesus that that something different, something outside of the system comes in and we are cleansed from the sin, from the marks of it. But as we dive in, Ted Decker's picture says that there was a red pool and you dive into it and something in you dies. You have to stay underwater for so long. Something in you dies. And as and as you're scratching underwater, you just feel this, like, scales coming off your skin. You come out, and you're clean. But you're clean, and you're glowing. But you're still in the soot, and as soon as you come out, it starts getting on you again. The evil of the world is always affecting us, even the best Christian among us. It is affecting us, and we continually need to go back to Jesus for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do is what I keep on. The evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not want, it's no longer I who want it, but sin who wants it. Paul's creating a category for us to acknowledge our sins while not placing us under the the spiritual consequence of sin, because Jesus has taken that away. He's creating a category for us to say, it's no longer me. I didn't want to participate with that. Jesus, I want you. My worship is on you. I'm so sorry. See, it's not on you to save yourself. We've been asking this entire sermon, how do I stay in? And here's the answer. You stay in by acknowledging your sin and constantly looking to Jesus to purify you. You rely on Jesus to bring you into his kingdom. That's correct worship. You don't rely on the law. You don't rely on your your pious action. You rely on Jesus to bring you in. I counsel you, Revelation 3, 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you might be rich, and white garments so that you might clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Humbly accept that you are not the determining factor in your salvation. It is Jesus all the way. Let me pray. Oh God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It's not necessarily financial, and it's not necessarily physical. It's not necessarily emotional. All those, probably all those things all at once. But I need you to purify me from the evil that's constantly at my doorstep. I need you to purify me from the evil that is even within me. And so, God, I direct my worship, and we direct our worship as a church. We direct our worship to you. Because we acknowledge that you're the one who overcomes. You're the one who forgave sin, who overcomes Satan, who will place Satan and evil into into its final judgment. You are the one who redeems those who put faith in you. You are our only hope. So, Jesus, we offer our lives to you. We humbly accept that we are not the determining factor of our own salvation. But you are. Thank you, Jesus, that I get in and stay in by relying on Jesus' death being sufficient to redeem my sin and guilt. Thank you for being enough. In Jesus' name, amen.